Hello, Jason. Hey, Alex. So you and I got to spend some quality time this dude, weekend. Solid eight hours, dude. Wow. Yeah. So okay. So this is what I I did. So, um, you know, you kind of go through. Jason and I are in that in that phase of life where all of our friends are married. Um, everybody's having kids now. That's that's the kind of stage of life that we're in. Popping right? out babies. So. Do you remember, Jason, you know, back when everybody was getting married, you would go to a bachelor party? Yeah, man. So how fun that was just to hang out with the guys for a day and do cool guy stuff. So I said, you know what? My birthday was this past week. I really want to do, I really want to try and recreate my bachelor party to the best of my ability. <laughs> and so that's what I planned to do. And I, I told everybody in the Facebook invite, I... You know, most of my groomsmen were there and a bunch of other people that I haven't seen in a while. And I said, we're going to go golfing. Yeah. And then we're going to go just hang out at my buddy Chris's house, hang out in his studio. He has a home studio. It was uh, awesome. North man. Tower Studios. Go check him out. Uh, he's he's awesome. And we played uh, yard games and just... We went golfing, dude? Yeah. It was an insane. Your team won. Yeah. Me and James, dude. <laughs> <laughs> tore it up the best i have ever golfed in my and i don't golf that was my 11th time golfing as a 32 year old and i golfed a 43 dude james and i lit it up man i i would i would easily say that we both golfed a 43 because every time we hit a ball it was a two-man scramble yeah but every time we hit a ball it's like hey how about you play your ball and i'll play my ball like and we'll just see who gets closest to the pin my my brother-in-law was like so mad because he golfs regularly. Yeah. And he came in second place. <laughs> well, it was so, you know what? I was, because I'm not a good golfer by any stretch okay. of the imagination. Ne- nor am I. But I suck. I suck way worse. The weather was perfect and your friends are freaking awesome because you guys are all <laughs> showing up with these golf bags that are like mouse eaten. Like yours looks like it was from an alligator. Like, yeah, the only uh, the only albino alligator in Florida my grandpa killed and made into a golf bag. Luke Luke shows up with three clubs. My, okay, so golf tees that look like they come from the Crackle Barrel game. My Luke, my my he's been my best friend for 21 years. Oh my gosh, dude. And uh he literally he plays with a putter that yeah. he that he probably took from a putt-putt course. It looks like he stole it from a putt-putt course. He plays with a sand wedge and he plays with a driver. So if so, okay. This is a lot of golf lingo, but he he doesn't he doesn't even like he when he's on the fairway he uses his driver yeah to get to the and it's just so ridiculous it's so like non conformity like golf tactics. I think that's what that I think that's why I played my best golf game ever because usually when I'm playing with other golfers they're like oh you need to like get your five iron out what are you yeah, doing or you need to straighten your arm out or just lean and there was no like overt correction it was just like hey dude great shot man yeah <laughs> we'll play that ball yeah dude it was so much fun i do have to say when we played the adult dodgeball so okay so after golfing we went to chris's house yeah. and, and chris chris is notorious for just inventing all these awesome yard games and so we played a, a game called adult dodgeball which is you set up like a small arena and you have boundaries and whatnot and instead of playing with multiple smaller dodgeballs, you play it with one big dodgeball, which is the the exercise ball. A that, medicine ball, man. Yeah, like you know, like pregnant women sit on and whatnot. Yeah. 
<laughs> and Jason, you got the adult dodgeball MVP award. After, I will say, your faithless friends <laughs> picked me last. I was picked freaking last. All right, dude? I know, like, okay. Hey, you know, Jason. I'm just saying, after like, I was picked last, I had a prayer, Alex. You're I, like Gideon. You shouldn't have won, but you did. No, I prayed, and I was like, dear Lord, deliver me from this picked lastiveness. Like, give me justice in this place of injustice, because I've been working at, out at Planet Fitness for like for like three months now. I did not deserve to be picked last. <laughs> and let me tell you, the Lord provided, because the Holy Spirit showed up. Alex, there was one point, and our our buddies Brandon and Brandon and Andrew from the Probably Wrong podcast. Yeah, we did we did a podcast off. Yeah, we we squared off in podcast fashion. But at one point, Andrew was on my team, and I had this amazing dodge. And I cannot say that I had this amazing dodge. The Lord provided me with this amazing dodge. Angels picked you up and moved you. I like slid on the ground and everybody's like, holy crap, how did you do that? And I look over at Andrew, who's just like laughing because I did this ridiculous dodge. And I told Andrew, like, I fell down. (laughs) (laughs) I literally slipped and fell. And you know what? I didn't slip and fall. That was the Holy Spirit. That was providing. predestined. It was. That was that was the sovereignty yeah. of God working oh, right yeah. there God for you. God saw me in my affliction <laughs> of my being picked last, and he's like, Here you go, Jason. Oh man. So it was a lot of fun. We, dude. I had a blast. I, I gotta post I gotta post the video because we took oh video of us facing off against uh the probably wrong podcast, which by the way, Jason and I won. We and did. So best two out of three. Best two out of three, we won. Uh no help from me, because I, I, once again, I realized when I play these games how unathletic I am, and I was like one of the first guys out every time. I just I'm not fast enough to move out of the you way of a big. You should start working out ball. at Planet Fitness with me. Dude. I will not. Work I'm a out sup- at, I'm a super athlete now. I, I refuse to work out. I refuse. If they're not going to sponsor us, if you don't mention them. <laughs> oh, like- all right. <laughs> Planet Fitness. If you want to lose a couple pounds. Ten dollars a month. Everything you could think of to do in a gym is there. No, I don't yeah. But yeah, so it was it was just a great weekend. I'm really glad you got to come out and we we just got to hang out with the bros. Uh my buddy made a huge bonfire for me. Oh my gosh. It so, was two stories tall. The video man. is on my Facebook, so go everybody go check that out. Literally He's like, check out the bonfire I made for Alex. And we go out and there's this fire pit and it's like you know, this thing that's like, I don't know, like two feet high. And we're like, oh, that's pretty cool, dude. He's like, no, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> he walks us around the corner. And this bonfire looked like it was like seriously two stories tall. It was funny because... It was insane. So Brandon Ellis from uh, the Probably Wrong Podcast, we made him stand by the bonfire because he's the tallest one yeah, of us. dude, he's a giant. And he, it dwarfed him. Oh, my god. We gosh. had to stand back. 60 feet and when we were trying to take pictures next to it it was like hurry up run by it do a thumbs up and then run the heck back because your your shirt was burning. literally recreated the fires of hell like it was it's so big oh my gosh but anyway enough of that stuff because right here right now we are about to drop an awesome interview with jason katarski a good friend yeah. of yours yeah and hopefully a good friend of mine eventually dude awesome guy yeah who wears a lot of hats and we could we could talk to jason about anything but we narrowed it down um to kind of some church planting history yeah that we've been through with his church 
And our church, uh, he planted a church in Flint, and then shortly after, we planted a church in Flint that... Uh, I was on staff at. You were on staff there, but we, we kind of did some things going into that plant that we learn from our mistakes and would not be doing nowadays. I wish I can go back in time to 2013, Alex, and be like, you need to run. (laughs) Well, you know, yeah, I mean, you learn, man. I mean, in all honesty, it was a learning experience, but there's, you know, there's always that part of you that wishes you can tell your younger self, like, you need to do this differently. Yeah. Because it's going to save you a lot of heartache in the end. So, yeah, we talk about that in this interview. And then we also talk to Jason about being a board game inventor. Yes. He has invented some games, my friend. And being a lay pastor at Mars Hill Bible Church over Grand Rapids. so Absolutely. So a man of many talents. But yeah. everybody sit back and enjoy Not Your Pastor's Church Plant Repentance episode. Jason, man, you've got a lot of titles going for you. And when I look at uh, your Facebook and and just recalling some memories, you're a former pastor, a hospice chaplain, a board game, would you say inventor? Uh, Yeah, that and a publisher, yeah. Board game inventor and publisher. And tonight you are um, in my club of being a derby widow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, is, that is true. My wife is at roller derby practice right now. So. Oh, man. I wonder where this podcast would be without roller derby. Oh, honestly. my gosh. Is, is Way Jess, less cool. Is Jess part of, part of the blame for that? Did she get Lisa into, into roller derby at all? Or? I don't think so. Lisa had okay. actually never seen roller derby until, um, like, live. Okay. Um, or, like, she signed up. Like, I, I had taken the youth group kids to, to see a game. Nice. Uh, that, city i think it was Flint city yeah and um and we just had a blast so then i came back and told her about it and we moved to grand rapids and she was like she met the grand raggedy girls um at a at a convent comic convention nice. and uh they were like let's do this uh and she signed up for basic training and it was kind of like we're in a new city and something she's always kind of been interested in and a good way to meet friends and like she's always loved roller skating so she said I'm in. So now I awesome. sit home a lot with kids and putting them to bed and do that stuff on my own. Yeah, <laughs> a couple for, nights a week. <laughs> for those who don't know, that's the definition of a derby widow. So uh, <laughs> while our wives are off at, uh, well, beating each other up and learning to skate and strategize about their upcoming games, uh, we're home putting the kids to bed. <laughs> that, that's a derby widow, my friend. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Well, the life. I mean, tonight, I guess, uh, w- you know, our wives are podcast widows. Yeah, our wives are podcast <laughs> widows tonight. <laughs> I always feel so bad. I feel like my daughter gets spaghetti all over her face every night when we right before we do podcasting. It's like, oops, well, I got to go get everything set up for Jason. So yeah. bye. I wait until the house looks like a tornado and everything's <laughs> gone wrong. Be like, well, I'm going to go hang out with Alex and talk to really cool people for a couple hours. So now that That is some perfect timing right there. Oh, yeah. See ya. <laughs> So, Jason, we we were talking before we started recording. There's a lot of different ways we could take this episode, but I want to start with, I want you to share with our listeners, because I think your story on how you became a Christian is pretty pretty rad. So, 
Um, I remember you telling telling it to me kind of at these little punk rock shows you would host at your house here in, in Flint when you lived here, hearing the story of how you came to met Jesus. So however you want to start that off, man, yeah. you want to share? Yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I did not grow up in church. Uh, my, my real church experience was going to to church on holidays occasionally every few years my mom would kind of get this vibe like hey i want to go to church and uh, we'd show up for holidays and that was it so then uh, my mom would like pray before meals at, on holidays that was like the only day we would like pray and she would always cry like during that <laughs> prayer so so my conception of god was like all right he's like a distant relative that comes over on the holidays and he makes my mom cry no. you know so like <laughs> Everybody has that relative, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I was kind of like, huh, you know, like, I don't know about this, you know, which wasn't a big part of my life. And, and kind of in, in high school, I had met a ton of kids who were really great kids. I was really um, attracted to people who were like, were kind and, and generous and yeah. friendly. And I wasn't like super cool. I was kind of a music nerd. And, um, and I, I met a lot of kids who were involved in youth group or young life. And they were just like different than the other kids that, that I was really hanging out with. So I was really drawn to spending a lot of time with them. And they were the kind of friends that would like find out my band was playing at like a bar on a weekend and they'd show up at like midnight just to hang out with me. They, this one friend in particular would drive to my house and chat with my mom. And like my mom would say, Oh, he's off playing a punk rock show. Like, well, we're at, he'd come and like track me down and come and see my band and like hang out with me, you know? So that was the kind of friend that goes the extra mile. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends who were like Christians and goody two shoes. And, and I had like my foul mouth in English class or whatever. And they love me anyway. And so I pushed the envelope a little bit, you know, to seeing how much like how real this thing was and how real this person was. Uh, but they, they, they didn't really give up on me. You know, they were kind of always there. Um, and, and as I, as I continue to have those relationships, there was a couple friends that I just stuck really close with. One was my wife and, uh, and she was like this person who was who was always like present for me, non-judging, having real conversations with me. We dated for a minute in high school, but then she dumped me uh, because like <laughs> she wanted to date other people, and like I wasn't I wasn't a Christian, and she, that was really important to her. Yeah. And I was like, all right, can I be friends with your brother? Because like he's kind of going to be in this new band that I'm starting, and we uh, so I was always at her house, and, like, hanging out with her brother and her family, and she'd come home on the weekends from college and like we go for coffee and talk about stuff like is god in this cup you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> deep theology like, like i don't know man but i'm pretty sure he's like behind whoever made that cup you know like <laughs> so like i had that kind of hunch like that that there's there's something you know like there is an, an initiator of all this creation that was like the thing that always kind of made me think Huh, maybe I'll get serious about this like God thing one day. And uh and and similarly in my in my punk rock days, so like I, I see my story, there there's there was this painting that hung up at the Flint Local four thirty two and it was called A Young Rebel Jesus. And it was made by this local tattoo artist who found this this uh famous kind of velvet painting of Jesus, and it was Jesus like leaning down and praying. But the tattoo artist got his neon paints out and he painted a flower between the hands of this Jesus. It was a, like a big like daisy. And then he, he painted a fluorescent pink mohawk 
on Jesus. And then the words on the top scrolled across said, a young rebel Jesus. And uh, <laughs> this was the work of a tattoo artist named Matt Rinks. And it just always hung behind the stage at the Flint Local 432. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So like, I was always like, that's weird, man. That's, that's cool stuff. Like, and like kind of gutsy, you know, like yeah. to hang something like that up. And, uh, and so I've always kind of like thought of my journey as similar to that painting like just was always kind of present and in the background of my life like uh people who were like who were godly people who were who were being friends with me who were there for me um these kind of deep like inklings that i had that i wanted to pursue but kind of had this like i don't feel good enough for this god and church thing because i don't come from this certain kind of home and and i don't know all these certain things and i don't come from a family who knows all these things and practices these things that these other kids are talking about um, so it wasn't until later that, that like I started, um, going to a new church plant called wild wind community church. And it was in grand blank and it was a church plant of the youth pastor of those kids that I was friends with in high school. So one of those friends was like, Hey, my friend's starting this church. It's a place where you can like be yourself and like wear jeans or like your sepultura t-shirt or whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I could, I could get into that. That sounds awesome. Uh, so I started going to this church, and it was very casual. We met in a karate studio first, and we had to take our shoes off when we went into church. So, <laughs> Did you guys you know, bow? <laughs> we didn't bow, but I was a little bit like, is this a Christian thing? Or is this like the karate thing with the shoes off? You call him sensei instead of pastor. <laughs> is Mr. Miyagi going to come out and karate kick somebody for blasphemy? So, lots of hands-on sermons, you that's know, a, like that. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> So it was real, real cool experience for me because I felt very comfortable and welcomed. And the communicator, Dave Flowers, who, who later became a mentor of mine and is a dear friend, um, he was awesome to me. And he was an awesome communicator. He just he made uh, the gospel and the, the kingdom of God ideas and the life of Jesus like click with me in a practical way that mattered um, for the first time, you know, so, and this was all the time that I was dating that girl who dumped me in high school. We were just kind of talking about weirdness again. And, uh, and, and she dumped me, but then like later on, like, I don't know where this is going. And I started going to church and we fell in love. And like this, this kind of thing just, just took off for me. I was 23 years old when I, uh, when I was baptized and, uh, kind of gave my life to Christ and, and I experienced quite a, a reorienting, uh, of my whole life. Like I played in punk rock bands. That was my, that was my goal in life. And I stuck with that for a few years. Um, but it wasn't long before I decided to like leave my job and kind of wrap up the band stuff I was doing and go back to school full time because I became a young life leader and had a cool experience that was, it was like making me feel like I was being called to ministry. So I started going through a training institute for mystery ministry and working on a degree, um, and eventually became a pastor and, um, was an associate pastor of a church of Wildwind, actually the only church that I was ever a member of well, the church where I was baptized, the first church that really connected with me. I was like, being a punk rocker, like I had this very specific idea of like what I thought church should be and, yeah. and the experience that I loved. And, and like, I didn't think I could just find that anywhere. I was real. I'm still a little bit nervous around people who grew up in the church because like the super conservative evangelical scene, like hurts my heart sometimes as a, as a kind of guy on the fringes, you know, um, from the, from the punk rock community and, a, and an unchurched person for most of my life. 
uh, it's a weird culture to kind of try to sip seep into. Uh, so, so I, I got a job working at the one church that I thought I could go to and loved it and got a lot of experience doing a lot of things and, and eventually planted a church in downtown Flint. Um, that was kind of an extension of like who I was before the church and, and who I had become since coming into contact with Jesus and the church and, and falling in love with that and kind of wanting to express that in a new kind of way in a, in a place that was very specific to my story that I loved. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit of my story. <laughs> Dude, that's that's <laughs> super rad, though. So, like, I kind of feel the same way because I, I grew up in the same punk rock scene, you know. And I don't know, Jess and I talk about this all the time. When everything looks perfect from the outside, we're always like, where's the hole at? Like, yeah. you know, it's kind of like that same, like, punk rock mentality. Like, okay, I know everything's presented as perfect, but I know it's not perfect. So, so where's the imperfection? And I think that that's like a punk rock of saying like uh, a punk rock way of saying, um, I want this to be genuine. <laughs> like, yeah. like let's, let's turn off the fake. Let's turn off the facade and let's, let's be real for a moment. This isn't the way people really think. This isn't the way people really act. Can we just, put that aside for a moment and be real for a minute. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that was, that was a stumbling block for me. That yeah. was the thing like in high school that like I saw church as like these people who had it all together. And I definitely wasn't one of them. Like I cursed too much and I loved like, uh, I really wanted uh, a girlfriend to do things that boyfriends like to do with girlfriends, you know, like <laughs> it didn't work out for me, but like, you know, like that was like, what was I'm, I'm like, I like, this is like a driving thing for me. And like, um, I just want to make music and be creative and like my music's a little too loud and like too hard for like what I see coming out of this scene over here. And like, I- I'm not that person. Like, so like, I can't be a part of it because I, I don't have it all together. But then at the, you know, at the time I thought, well, I'm not good enough cause I'm not like that. But then it's yeah. just like, Oh, guess what? Like they're probably more like me than, uh, than they, than they are willing to share or than I know because I've been looking at them from a distance. Yeah. Um, and then when you get in, you know, you start to see the cracks a little bit. And, and that's always been something that has, like, been compelling to me that, like, okay, these are normal people yep. that have their issues. And, like, they're just trying to figure out this God thing. And, like, the Jesus story and, and who Jesus is is, like, real to them. And they're trying to, like, reconcile all of that. Um and that that's compelling story. Like that's way more compelling to me than like, Hey, we have it all together. We have the answers. Um, yeah, that's too squeaky clean. Man. That's not any fun. Yeah. Let's leave, that's, that's leave it to beaver, man. <laughs> <laughs> so Jason, you, uh, planted a church in an urban area. Now, some people would say that's probably one of the hardest jobs. Any sort of ministry person would ever undertake is planting a church in an urban area. Why did, was it just solely because of your history with Flint that you you felt led to plant a church in downtown Flint? I mean, I think that what's the statistic that most urban church plants don't make it past two years? Yeah, I tried not. Uh, I tried not to look at those statistics. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people for experience, you know, with that kind of experience, and and that stuff can be really helpful. But like, the thing that really propelled me forward with planting a church was like my love for where I came from. And, um, I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in Davison and, 
But as soon as I was like 15, my mom would drop me off at the Flint Local 432. Yeah, buddy. Every every weekend, man. And uh, and that helped me fall in love with the city and and just being a part of like this thing that was happening on this empty street at the time, like yeah, uh, that, that nothing else was going along and kind of starting to see that city spring back to life in some really neat ways and seeing that happen through creativity, like was was huge for me and it just made me feel like I I like cities I love this city and having that connection to that music scene that shaped my life in such profound ways like when I thought about like where do I want to see the church like spring up it was like in and around that kind of environment in that community um and there are lots of churches in Flint um Yes, we and, were one of them, but I felt I felt like every time we I came into contact with another church planter, I always felt like they looked at me like, "Yeah, here's the new douchebag in town." <laughs> That's because well, that was, <laughs> never mind. Yeah. yeah, you go ahead, that Jason. Was, that was an interesting thing. Like when we first came into contact, you know, I was I was I was in the midst of planting a church in Flint, and and I saw this this video that was. That, that was uh, this not is that a, this is an infamous video to our listeners, by the way, because this is this is one of the reasons why young Alex Ryman is no longer in ministry. Because when you when you make a video saying that, okay, so let me give some context for yeah, our listeners. you got to give some context. So, yeah, you, you do that. So in in Acts one, right? So Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, "I want you to go to Jerusalem, to to Judea, and also to Samaria." So. Our church started in Goodrich, Michigan. So that's kind of like our home base. So that was our Jerusalem. Then our church wanted to plant a location in Judea, which Judea for us in Goodrich, Michigan was the next town over, which is uh, Grand Blank. So we set up a uh, location in Grand Blank, Michigan. Everybody following so far. So historical context tells us that uh, Samaria was the place that all the Jews hated all those people in Samaria, that they were half-breeds, that they were considered second-class citizens. Nobody likes Samaria. And so in this video that the church Jason and I currently go to still put out, they said, Flint is Samaria. And here's (laughs) the thing. I bought into that, Jason. Yeah, so did I, dude. And I... and w- once I started working in Flint and seeing, meeting the people and like even just hanging out like the whole downtown scene, like, cause that's when I feel like, you know, I, mo- I started working at the church 2013 and I feel like, you know, that's when I really started to like see all these, these businesses starting up and this community starting to form and like all the co- the colleges, you know, all the different, you know, schools that are in the downtown area really coming alive and meeting all these different students from around the world. It was a really awesome place. And I realized very quickly, I'm like, this is not Samaria. <laughs> I think that would be our church plant repentance. Yes. Would be uh, not to call the area that you're going to uh, Samaria. <laughs> right. Like that, that is a, that is a compelling narrative in scripture, right? Like those, yeah. those pictures are like, are like the things that get people's engines revved up, like inside the church. It's like, because we're doing something important. Yeah. We're finding, we're finding like the, the words that stick out were like, they need us over there. Yes. You know, and like, it's broken. Right. It's broken. They need us. It's Samaria. Like, Oh man, like they, they think we're dirt balls, you know, like, um, and then like, we're going to open a (laughs) a funny, a funny part of it was we're going to open like a, a food pantry and like a clothing thing in the, in the church, which was like, 
literally three houses down from a food pantry and a clothing giveaway thing. Well, that was one of the things that I, that I found really quickly, like, you know, they they wanted to do a Celebrate Recovery, which for anybody who doesn't know that, that's kind of like a drug recovery program, like a Christian-based drug group. And I was like, you guys all do realize there's a really big group that already meets not too far away from this location. And then the same thing with, like you just said, the clothes closet, the like a food pantry. All those things are really close by. So it was almost like, we're going to come in here. We're going to do it better than everybody else is doing it because we're on a mission to go to Samaria. And it was like, no... You can't you can't base your church plan off of you you're the savior. Like you just got to preach Jesus is the savior and that's the winning formula right there. Yeah. Yeah, and that I mean that for me just it struck me as a guy who was like already there like doing a church, like trying to get a church off the ground. Um you know, like it was just kind of like, ah, I don't, I don't know about this. And like, I didn't know anybody involved, but I did know except for Jason. I knew Jason yeah, was I think I was church. the one who shared the video on yeah, I saw, it, I saw it on Facebook. One of my friends saw it that was, like, not a Christian. It made the and, rounds. <laughs> yeah, and, and we had this, like, conversation about, it, like, hey, man, you hear we're, some, we're here here with Samaria over here? Oh, you know, man. Like, um, and, it, and it just led to this kind of interesting, like, discussion of, like, how do we approach, like, okay, if we're supposed to go and preach the gospel and, like, you know, plant churches, like, if that is a part of, like, the, the movement of the kingdom of God, then, like, then what, what does that look like in a way that like honors the people and like, is Jesus like towards people? And, and the image for me was, was never this imperialistic, like I'm here to conquer. Yeah. Right. And, and that language, and, and it's not, it, it is not like a fault of your guys. No, your I church. don't think it was like, our intention, but I oh, see. I, def- I definitely took an imperial. No, did you? I did. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Man. I did. Well, it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely yeah. a thing in church planting that like, has, I, might, like I might get reprimanded for saying that, but I, <laughs> yeah. Continue. It was one, one stream of like, of understanding, like this is how we do this. And, and, um, and Hey, you know, like in, in a different era, that maybe was like a thing that, that worked in a different way. And I think the shift was um, that the church used to come from a position of power, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where everyone, everyone looked to the church for guidance and, and safety. And like, so when the church said something, it was like, it carried a lot of weight. And now the church is like a little bit more dispersed, a little bit more like the, the culture at large questions. Everything the church does looks, looks at our motives and says, you know, what's going on here. So like the, the other, the other side of that and the other way that like, instead of working in, in a posture of like power and we have something to give is like coming and saying, who are these people and who am I? And how do we uh, kind of come alongside what is already happening? What God is already doing, what God was already doing before we decided to start a church here. Yeah. Um, and and that was just kind of the the undergirding thing. Not that I'm perfect or anything. And I probably I read like an Alan Hirsch book, and I read a uh, a couple other church planter books that were talking about missional church planting. And uh, I did not create these ideas, but like they're they're very much like along the lines of like just come and live and work among the people and see what springs up and and fill gaps where there are gaps. And like uh, for me, going to the local and starting a church. Um, well, I, I'm probably the only person that at the time who could have ever started a church in the punk rock venue, the Flint Mobile 432, um, at just because of the Pretty relationship. Pretty gutsy move. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's super <laughs> rad is what it is. Jason, um, you, can, you just... can't have church in a punk rock venue. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's in Deuteronomy. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I was just thinking about the relationships that I had and, yeah. and where, what what I wanted their church to look like and, and who I wanted to feel comfortable there. And I thought about, hey, there's an all-ages nonprofit community space that's all about the arts, like, in my community that I love. Like, what if, like, we came and met in their space? Like, we have a space to, like, do church and worship and, like, explore God through creative means, which kind of, you know, like uh, – you know, fell in line with a lot of the stuff that the Red Ink and the, the local were doing. And also, like, we'll pay some rent. We'll pay some rent to this, like, existing nonprofit that is doing great work in Flint. Yeah. Um, so, like, we're doing, we're getting our needs met, and we're helping to meet their needs. And, like, we're showing that, like, hey, check it out. Like, these these punk rockers and these Christians, like, can, can like, live in harmony. Like, they can get along. And, and you know, there's some overlap there, and it kind of gave some direction to um, – you know, the kind of church that, that we wanted to be. Um, so it was just really about um, saying, I love this place. This place has shaped me. This is who I am. Um, how can I create this community of, of, of church that is focused on Jesus uh, in the midst of what is already happening in Flint? And I had lived in Flint for, for uh, I guess, probably 15 years at the time. Um and it was just it was just a thing that was on my heart to do, and um, it was a it was a really fun experiment. We kind of treated everything we did as an experiment, uh, and we 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 came to it and just said we want to be a conversational community that um, kind of combines like a worship experience with like conversation and dialogue and creativity. So I wouldn't always preach like a full on sermon. I would read scripture and maybe share a story from my life, and then. Um, open it up to people, you know, journaling uh, about their own experience and or, or doing some interactive kind of uh, meditations, you know, walking around the room, lighting candles, uh, doing art, like um, real simple stuff, pretty crude stuff, pretty, pretty unorganized, but like, but beautiful expression of people just like spending some time on a weekend saying, who am I? Who is God? Like, what is God doing in my life? Like, what does God want to do in our community? Um, and it was just kind of like making a lot of that up as we went along. And that was that was fun for me because that that was uh, just that's what I do. I'm a creative person and uh, I love community and I love Flint. And I got to kind of try that out for a while in, in Flint. And uh, we closed eventually. Most of our people were from the suburbs and didn't have like a, as maybe maybe weren't as settled being a Flint church as passionate about that as they were about like supporting my wife and I in our journey. Yeah. That was kind uh, of our problem too. Yeah. A lot of transfer from outside the city into the city. Kind and of the stuff. people, yeah, that, and that, that happens whenever a new kind of church pops up, you know, there's a lot of excitement that starts to wear off and you realize, Oh, like, Hey, here's some things that I wasn't counting on and it's harder than I thought, or, you know, it's not happening as quickly as I wanted. And, um, preach it, man. Preach it. Yeah. Dang. And then, and we had a transient culture too. You know, we had people come and go. Like I remember there was a, a, a person who came to our church for a while and we journeyed alongside of them and then they ended up going off to a seminary and now they're like a, a priest doing their own thing. <laughs> I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And then, uh, did you guys ever have the half drunk guy stumble in and then walk right up to the pastor in the middle of his sermon and ask for a ride home? We didn't have that, but we definitely had. <laughs> we had that we one time. 
<laughs> we definitely had people just come into church to like use the bathroom, like, and then go. You know, like, yeah. hey, this door, what? this door is open, and they come in with their luggage and their bag, and they do take care of business and and head out. So, lots of interesting things being downtown. But um, the transient thing was was um, was tough because we we'd connect with somebody, but then we'd have to like send them on to the next part of their journey. You know, like we had yeah. somebody go off to the military, we had somebody uh, move away, like, and and that and that is kind of like. That was just what was happening in in our community. So one uh, one January when we had like way too many snow days in a row, like three Sundays in a row, we canceled church because people couldn't get out of their driveways. Oh, um, man. We got like four phone calls from different people, like saying, "Hey, just want to let you know we've decided to move on." You know, they they had some time away from the church to kind of reflect on things and needed to move back to the you know the home church or move on to something else. You know, something that had more kind of stuff for kids and. Um, had some people moving away like to other places for work because that that was the nature of, of Flint at the time that it was hard to, to for folks to find really solid jobs to raise their families so we had people come and go and uh, we decided when we were down to like a remnant of people that we felt like we did the things that we set out to do and had some beautiful uh, stuff happen uh, and it was time to either, it was either rebuilding from scratch and kind of learning from some of the mistakes, uh, or kind of taking a break and, you know, saying, Hey, this is a thing we did. And, and I think it's a new season ahead. So we kind of closed the church down after that. That's kind of cool though, because you've got like a, like that whole story has like a beginning, um, a middle and an end and there's closure and you got to see some cool things happen out of it that you wouldn't have got to see otherwise. I think the whole story in itself is is pretty cool because, you know, here you are this 15-year-old kid going into Flint, you know, from the suburbs playing punk rock. And then you eventually move to the city. And then all of a sudden this space where you saw this Rebel Jesus painting, like <laughs> you have a church, like a full-blown church going on inside this space. I think that that whole story is is pretty sweet. So, yeah, it's definitely uh, it's a hard work and it's hard stuff when like people you love like move on. Um, but I do look back on it and I say, hey, like that was a good season where if we hadn't have like taken that step, we would have been saying, well, what if or, you know, having those regrets or, um, you know, we wouldn't have had uh, the chance to baptize a couple people. Yeah, and that's so cool. Uh, like good stuff, man. Yeah. So we're going to take a break here and uh in a hot moment, but you've gone on to do other things since that church plant. You're a lay pastor at Mars Hill Bible Church over in Grand Rapids and a board game inventor, like we mentioned at the get-go. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that stuff right when we get back. So more from the life and times of Jason Katarski right after this. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet. Say, Timmy, what are you doing over there? Jeez, mister, you scared me. Wait, how do you know my name? Never mind that, Timmy. You look kind of down. What's the matter? Oh, nothing. I just don't make enough money on my paper route. Well, child labor laws aren't like they used to be, Timmy. Say, what do you need that money for? Well, it's kind of silly, but I 
I need it for podcasts. Podcasting, eh? What are you looking to do? Start one up? Well, all my favorite podcasts all have Patreon accounts, and they keep asking me for money, and I feel guilty that I'm taking their content for free. Well, that sounds like a real big pickle there, Timmy. Yeah, real big pickle. Well, Timmy, what if I told you there was a free and easy way to support your favorite podcasts? Gee, mister, that would be swell. It's as simple as going on to the iTunes podcast app and leaving a five-star review. That's it? A five-star review? The more five-star reviews a podcast has, the more likelihood new listeners will find it. It seems so simple. Are you sure it works? Timmy, you can always trust the advice from complete strangers. All you need to do is go into the iTunes podcast app, go into the search bar, type in your favorite podcast, and leave a five-star review in the review tab. Wow. It's that simple. I'm going to go home right now and leave a five-star review on all my favorite (laughs) podcasts. You do that, Timmy. Five-star reviews are the easy, free way to help your favorite podcast. And also, stop the communists. Wait, what? You run along to your bomb shelter now, Timmy. I think I hear your mother calling. Leave a five-star review today, or you're a communist. All right, boys and girls, we are back with Jason Katarski. Um, and Jason, right before we went into the break, we kind of mentioned something that's really interesting. Um, the fact that you currently are, are you a member or are you, what, what is your affiliation with Mars Hill Bible Church? And before anybody freaks out, it's in Michigan, so it's not Mark Driscoll. <laughs> so if it's not Mark Driscoll, then it must be the other guy. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Rob Bell. I yeah, think... so don't forget about that either, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so I am a member at Mars Hill uh, Bible Church now, um, and I've recently become a lay pastor there. I, um, I after my church plant closed, I started serving as a hospice chaplain, which oh gave me some, some some really neat experience. My uh, One of the people on my leadership team was a hospice social worker, and she said, hey, I think you'd be great for this, and uh, I needed a job. And I was like, hey, I'm a minister, like this will be some one-on-one ministry stuff, I'll check it out, see how it goes. Um, And uh, so I did that for several years, and it was a really meaningful experience for me. Uh, And it it was in this time that I was kind of burned out from like the church experience, and I was a little bit uh, just burned out on on, like having to like lead a congregation, you know, and, and work in that kind of setting yeah uh, kind of like trying to like regroup after like what is it you know what does it mean to like follow your dream and that doesn't work out you know and like not having a lot of energy to like really like dig into being involved in a church community again so we with the churches we did go to we were just kind of on the sidelines just chilling um but uh i became a hospice chaplain and uh that was a really neat experience it was it was something different than planning a brand new church that was filled with young people at like this kind of growing stage in their lives this was like coming alongside people who are who are dying and um who are at the end of their lives and supporting them and their families so uh, at first it was a very scary thing and then it became this thing that was that was comfortable and really meaningful um it taught me something about the incarnation, like really, like what what does it mean to show up? 
for people, you know, like the way that that Jesus showed up for us. He was present to us. He was present to, to a small group of people that, that had his attention and it changed the world. Right. So, uh, so in that, in that sense, like I was serving, uh, a lot of people who had memory care issues, uh, Alzheimer's, uh, folks. And, um, so I didn't have a lot of conversations with, with like half of my, half of my patients, but, but it became very meaningful just to like be with someone that there wasn't a lot of people there for, and to just pray and to trust that God was there and trust that like reading words of scripture, uh, can do cool things, you know, and just like revisiting these these things that have been important to someone earlier in their life that maybe they don't have a grasp of it anymore because their mind isn't what it used to be. Yeah. But to give them that familiarity or to to um, you know hold on hold the hand of a of a uh, child of of an ailing person who is kind of moving towards their end of their life and just like I didn't do a lot, you know what I mean? Like that's a, it's. A, I hate to sound like it was a job where I didn't do anything, but like it, it was a job where I did a lot without having a lot of tasks. You know, you show up and you're open and you're willing to just like be present with someone and to listen to what their needs are, to listen to their questions, to not commit to them that you have all the answers, but point them towards some hope and uh, just kind of get to really step into like a very intimate space in somebody's life. And, uh, so that was a powerful experience for me. And, um, it really showed me that I had, had some skills that I wasn't really aware of. I've always been a pretty good listener, but like this was a different kind of listening. And I, I, I felt very well suited for that kind of ministry because I could step into a family's life and be present and, uh, I think do that pretty well, but then I could go home and, uh, it didn't like weigh on me all the time, you know, like it was like heavy yeah. ministry stuff can like just, just carry, carry around with you all the time. Not that like I, I wasn't sad when my patients died or that people were going through these hard times, but it was like, I, I tr- I'm trusting God. That was like, that was the thing for me. It was like, okay, like I'm going to do my part and trust that God is doing his. And uh, I'm going to go home to my family and make the kind of memories with them that I'm hearing, you know, these folks share about their loved ones. Um, so I did that for a few years uh, while I was hiding from the church experience, uh, and it was it was really good. But that and that kind of led my my family then moved to Grand Rapids, and that kind of threw a wrench in the system for for me a little bit. So, man, Grand Rapids. If there was another city that I could live in, in Michigan. I feel like it would be Grand Rapids. Jess and I visit Grand Rapids all the time. It's so cool out there. Like, oh, just all like the downtown area, and then like just outside the downtown area, you got a, you know all the colleges and whatnot, and then you got that rad bookstore that Baker you, Bookhouse is yeah, a sweet bookstore. You got to stop there. You got to buy all the old tattered Spurgeon commentary. <laughs> like, not com- <laughs> he didn't write a commentary, but he he did too. He wrote the comment. Uh, Matthew is his only. Commentary. Oh yeah, that's right. That's I don't have that one yet. Yeah, hey, Any, just anyway. make a mental note. Christmas for Alex. <laughs> just yeah. make a mental note. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We, we go ahead. No, I just this game. Well, I mean, we're painting this beautiful picture of Grand Rapids. Is it still beautiful now that you've been there for a while, or is it like ah, you know, it's Grand yeah, Rapids? You know, I I've lived in the Flint area my whole life, and I moved when I was the uh, thirty six. 
So like that was tough for me. Like, yeah. uh, because I love, I love Flint, but like we moved just because, you know, we, my, my wife was, uh, had a job that she was ready for something different and I work from home. So like we could be anywhere and the water crisis, you know, we, we are, we are privileged enough that we could, we could relocate, you know, like, um, we, I had small kids and, and we were kind of concerned like, Hey, you know, like we we're exhausted. We planted a church. We like, we love this place. We kind of really put in some serious effort, you know, to like put down roots here. Uh, but we're pretty exhausted at that point and kind of said, you know, like this water stuff is, isn't really going to be resolved by the time our kids are even grown and out of our house. And like, what other experiences do we want to share with our kids and where else do we want to be? And, uh, so we ended up coming over here and, and working from home is a challenge when you're 36 years old and you're in a new city that you've never like lived anywhere else but Flint. Cause it's like, how do you make friends? Like, well, how do you connect with people outside of like your, your work? And, um, so that was a little bit of a challenge, especially cause my wife was flourishing, you know, she joined roller derby and she, uh, she, she actually, uh, was making tons of friends at her new job as a teacher. And I was kind of like at home, like, all right, I'm, I'm here now, but, I mean, culturally, the city's amazing, uh, which which really drew me. I love the city life, uh, and I love just being able to go to cool record stores and see shows yeah. and, like, yeah, find cool bookstores. Like, I just I love and the diversity in my neighborhood and, like, just really good stuff. And, uh, and honestly, Mars Hill was a hugely influential church to me uh, as I was, like, as I became a Christian, like, alongside going to this cool little church plant in, in Grand Blank, like, I was listening to Rob Bell yeah. and reading all of his books and, like, like shaped my life. I would I would visit a couple times a year, um, and, I mean, I was a, I was a fan, like, for sure, and I, and I still I still am. So, like, when we moved over here, I was kind of like, what are we going to do for church? And I was ordained in the Free Methodist Church. Uh, so I technically needed to go to a free Methodist church. So I actually surrendered my credentials, uh, in order to like be a part of the Marcel community. Um, because I wasn't attending a free Methodist church. It kind of had to, had to hang up my, uh, my official credentials for a while. Huh. So wait, there's not any like, sort. I think the word is retroprocity between, uh, different denominations. Like they don't honor your, uh, or- ordination. Well, they are not, um, they're a non-denominational church for one. They're an independent church, but like it wasn't about them. It was about the the church that I came from. It was about the Free Methodist Church saying, "We're gonna go ahead and hang on to these if you're not gonna serve and work in a Free Methodist Church." So I, I had you. I I had been on leave gotcha. of absence for a few years, um, and I was because I was serving in hospice. I was acting as a minister. Um, so like I, I hung on to that, but then when we moved to Grand Rapids and I was no longer working in hospice and I was attending another church of my own, you know, choice, which was a great move for our family. So, you know, if I have returned to the free Methodist church, the process will be easier to, if I feel called to like work in a free Methodist church again, to kind of, you know, get that back. And I have, you know, all my experience to go with it, but I was at a point in my life where that wasn't the most important thing to me. Um, I figured ordination is like a, a, a thing like on my life, a calling, like I have a calling on my life to serve just like every other Christian in the world. So, yeah. um, so I'm going to figure out a way to, to do that. But so going to Mars Hill 
was this this exciting thing for me because it meant so much to me. And the church was in transition. They had a new pastor named AJ Sherrill, and he's great. And I actually went and met with their one of their uh, their pastors uh, just to kind of like say, hey, like. I'm having this kind of existential crisis. Like I used to be a pastor and now I'm not, and I don't know what to do with that. And also, can you recommend a therapist? And, uh, <laughs> you know, like I'm looking to get involved in the church and he was like, okay, here's a therapist. And also like, I just heard about your experience and like, let's talk about like this lay pastor thing that we do here. And, uh, it seemed like a really neat opportunity for me to like find a home for this kind of like experience and, that, that I had gained from church planning and hospice and being a part of Mars Hill. So what I do as a lay pastor is because they're a, they're a bigger church, their staff, you know, can't meet all the needs of all the individuals. So they have a couple of retired pastors and, um, myself, a kind of retired pastor, I guess, uh, at a different stage of life, um, that help them with that. So uh, I'm licensed by Mars Hill now as a minister and can help with weddings and funerals and, and visitation. I'm a part of their Sunday care team. And I just make myself available to like pray with the, the congregation. And it's kind of a new thing, but it is, it just feels like the right kind of like natural progression of like what I have done before and how I can contribute and kind of stretch those muscles and um, serve the people of, of Mars Hill. So yeah, I, to me that sounds completely intriguing because I, I, you hear about and you see all the time, uh, pastors, especially in the mega church settings, our staff members just getting burnt out because there's so much burden, there's so much workload. You have so few volunteers in many cases step forward and and help out that I could see this this uh, role as a lay pastor being tremendously valuable to ease some of that burden. Yeah. I think, it, I think it really helps to protect the people who are on staff, like from being like overloaded for sure. And, and it just really like helps, helps, uh, helps people who have gifts and abilities, but like are in a different career path to like, yeah. to serve and use those, those things too, to help other people. Um, so I think it's a, I think it's a really neat thing, and there's different ways that that's been done, like in in different different contexts. Other churches, like small group leaders, can service yeah. like pastors, you know, take care of people. But like to have some specific people on hand to like, hey, like we need some backup, like that that I thought that was a really neat structure that they had in place. So um, and I was just honored to, like to to step into that opportunity and that role because of how much Marcel has meant to me and does mean to me. Um, yeah, and what's, the kind of the flux my life was in. Yeah, what's that ordination process or that uh, accreditation or, or I forget what you called it, but like the licensing. Yeah, what does that look like? Yeah, there does at it Mars look, Hill. Does it look like the end of A New Hope, where you walk down the aisle <laughs> and you get like an award from Princess Leia? Rest in peace. Um, actually, it looked like a meeting that I wasn't at. That. Um, <laughs> Where the elders like uh, heard about who I was and uh, and just kind of like signed off on me um, serving in that capacity for on behalf of their church. <laughs> I just see Jason Katarski. Hmm, he seems like a nice guy. Hey, he seems like a nice guy. <laughs> Good name. Yeah. And Chewie's yeah. in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we had to throw a Star Wars reference in there, otherwise yeah. it wouldn't be Nine Your Pastors podcast. No, I, I appreciate that. Uh, no, that's awesome, though. I hope, 
I hope more more churches adopt something of that. And, you know, I really like that. I like it too. Maybe it's you know, maybe it's a a small like a growth community or a small group or a house church pastor or or a lay pastor. I think I think that's awesome that you can you can use your experience as a associate pastor, as a hospice chaplain, as a church planter, you know, and go into a church and just be a blessing, you know, and just help ease that burden. I think that's awesome. Not only ease the burden of like just the work of ministry being done, but also probably on the budget because we all, we all know I've been in those budget meetings for churches and it's like, (laughs) it's just brutal. It's like, all right, we got to cut something. It's like, oh no. (sighs) Is it me? What? That you're going to cut? Like the budget cuts? Like, <laughs> Well, Jason, we can go down that road. <laughs> no, I don't want to. I don't want to. But one time it was me. Um, oh, that sucks. Anyway, oh, it too doesn't. Soon. Yeah. Too soon. It is, it's okay. I've made peace with it. I make Good. I make better money now. But that's not why I was in the ministry. Anyway. Amen. So, Jason, uh, we've, we've mentioned it a few times here. And, you know, I remember this. Maybe it's not where it first came out, but. I remember going over to your house, you know, for these little house punk rock shows. I think I saw Destroy Nate Allen there in your basement, which was just awesome. Because I I just saw he was on audio feed, too, on the bill. I was like, oh, I know that guy. Like, Yeah, it was great. We got to catch up for quite a while. That's cool, man. Yeah, it was super fun. So I remember going to your house for these little house shows that me and my wife played at and other bands played at. And going upstairs in your house and it was just this mountain of board games <laughs> just like holy cow i think everything is here like i think every board game is like up here in this space but like now you're like would you say this is a passion for you like inventing or publishing board games i don't even know like the the capacity to make up a board game like oh my gosh yeah it's it is like it is something I absolutely love, um, and it started to take shape first when I left my my band. Like I needed a hobby because like I wasn't going on the road anymore, and I didn't yeah. really want to go on the road. And I was like, I'm bored on the weekends, man. Like, and my wife introduced me to like Settlers of Catan and, that she played in college, and I'm like, this is lame. Why are we buying this fifty dollar board game? And and then I was like, oh, I see now, because it's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful. So a couple years later, I became a collector. And like, just like being a kid who listened to punk rock and like then learned to play guitar and then being a kid who like uh, went to church and then decided, I think it's time to play in a church, and then like got into games, like I had to be a contributor. Like I'm not a very good like consumer. Like I have yeah. to like contribute. Like I I love stuff and then my creative like itch like takes over and I have to do something. So I thought, hey, I, I first noticed that people's names were on these hobby board games, right? Like they had designers that were named. So I'm like, you know it'd be pretty sweet? Having my name on a board game box. <laughs> so I designed a game and it, it, I just had an idea. I used to work in a shipping and receiving at a college bookstore there in Flint. And I talked to truckers all the time. And, like, something a trucker said, like, like stuck with me. And I'm like, oh, like, cool. So I went home and, like, I took that idea that stuck with me and, like, played with playing cards and some, like, toy cars until I, like, made up a game. And then I played it with my wife. And she's like, hey, this is a game. <laughs> like, I'm like, all right, sweet. 
So I worked on it and made it better and had a, a friend help with art and stuff. And then I ended up, like, going to a game convention and um, getting the game, like, in front of some indie publishers. And one of them signed the game and That's published awesome. the game with the help of Kickstarter. And my name was on a box. And it was awesome. And, <laughs> <laughs> like, it was oh a really gosh. cool experience. So then, so then it was, like... Uh, Throughout that experience, I was watching what this publisher friend of mine named Chris Kirkman, the owner of Dice Hate Me Games, and my first game was called The Great Heartland Hall and Company, and um, I'm watching him doing publishing, and I'm like, well, this is kind of like being a musician where like you get paid a royalty, which is cool, and you can make more games as a hobby. I'm like, but what would it take to make this my job? And I thought, like, this was just as my uh, my church stuff kind of was wrapping up, and I was doing hospice part time. I was like, huh, like. It seems like if I wanted to make money, maybe I could start like start a, start the record label, you know, start yeah. a brand that makes games, um, and and it fit into so many of my like skills, like I, like from project management, from from like running a band, from my business experience that I had, from like managing people and working with people in church, like all these things that like I had already done seemed to like just fit right into like the the board game scene which very much felt like like a punk rock scene you know like this diy people who love what they do and do it because of their passion and then some of them maybe just it's a little easier to make money selling board games than it is to selling seven inch records you know like (laughs) so um so i tried that out and i loved it i started a company called green couch games and I just about to launch my ninth game on Kickstarter. In Holy three crap! That's insane, yeah. dude. Ninth game. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty awesome. Like, it, I'm, I'm looking over at my shelf and like I see my games that I published. They're little boxes. That's a little bit bigger than you know, like a CD, a CD case kind of a thing. Uh, that's kind of what I specialize in. Is kind of easy to learn, quick games that play in like half hour or less. And there's there's a, so one of my games is I have all these different language versions of it on my shelf because I've been able to like license it to foreign language markets and have other publishers make this game that is so and cool like, it's like in seven different languages now and like i'm making my ninth game and like i'm like i was just a dude who like played a game a few years ago that i really liked and now i've got like a company and i i went full-time uh doing this the beginning of uh, 2017 um and, it, and it's getting paid like a church planner so like not a ton but like um we just decided hey let's let's go forward with this and it gives me great flexibility to do something I love. And one of the most beautiful things I love about board games is that they bring people together for a shared experience in a physical space. Yeah. Uh, you like connect with real people in real life situations. You get to know people from like their actions and their, the way their mind works and the way they solve a problem. And like, I don't want to like, you know, just cause this is your pastor, not your pastor's podcast. Like, but like it, it can be like a spiritual experience. Like it is a give and take. Sure. It is a, it is a relational thing that is that is beautiful. That like I think in our current culture we we lack in the day to day life because of the hyper mobility, like like of the internet and like knowing people on Facebook that we don't really know, but we feel like we know and we wish we knew them. You know, like this takes that to like a tangible place and. Uh, that's why I make quick games. That's why I make games that are easy to learn and and only play in a half an hour because I want like an experience to like spring up around that game. I want the game to be easy to get into so you can get into that kind of uh, the, the the experience of being with those people that are around the table with you. So I love it. It's awesome. It's fun. Um, it's just uh, 
a way to continue to express my creativity and work with cool people who are creative and like um, help bring their dreams to life because a lot of what I do as a publisher now is I don't just create my own games. I still do that kind of on the side as a hobby, so I still love it. Um, like the job is that I work with other designers who have created games and make their games and bring them to life. So when I don't have an idea of my own to work on, I have plenty of other games that I'm working on to kind of get to the marketplace. And um, yeah, it's been a fun couple of years doing that. Wow. Like I, I just recently got into board games just because I have a few friends of mine that are really into it. And I'll tell you this really quick story and it's actually kind of blasphemous in the, in the realm of board games. So <laughs> a f- th- four years ago, uh, five of us got together. We each chipped in $10 and we bought risk legacy. You know what I'm Ooh. talking about? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, so don't give away any spoilers, though. I won't give away any spoilers, All but right. basically, it's it's risk, but it's it's a certain set number of times you play. I think you play like 15 games on it, and the board game is constantly changing as as you play the game. The last time we played it was two years ago. We still have five games left to play. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> wow, that's it's okay. That's that's a big commitment. Like. I have. We were going like uh, once a month and really getting at it, and then I got laid off, and then another guy got out of ministry and he moved away. It was like, oh no, our risk, our risk crew, and then my, my wife called it Nerd Night. Like, you gonna go to Nerd Night with your friends? <laughs> <laughs> you should tell her we prefer to be called geeks. All right, like, <laughs> no, ten games though. I mean, that's that's hey, that's a trek. Like, oh, I own five, six hundred games, and holy yeah, crap, definitely- five. I definitely haven't played most of them 10 times, you know, like each. So a lot of them get a couple plays. Yeah, like it's a part of like me just learning about what's out there and like uh, being inspired is by checking out other people's games. So um, it's a thing that I contribute to still financially. Wow. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. So you want to uh, to close this interview out, you want to close out with a little lightning round? Ask oh, some man. quick questions. Oh, you. I, oh, this sounds like a game. I'm, yeah, I'm totally throwing <laughs> this on Alex. Alex has no idea. I have no idea what's going on right now. Okay, so I'm we, ready to party. I uh, usually do this to Jason, and now he's doing it to I, me. I, I, and I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like it at all. <laughs> so, growing up, we can go around. We can go around the room here too. Even though you're not in the room, you're over Skype. But that's all the same. <laughs> Favorite board game as a kid. As a kid. Oh man, uh, card game count. Card games count, yeah. Get gin rummy. Gin oh rummy. Oh my gosh. I don't think I've ever played that. It's the easiest card game, but it was so satisfying. It is I, I played a lot with my wife's family. Like that's that's the game that we used to we play all the time at family events. That and Euchre. Uh, oh yeah. For, yeah, well, yeah, Euchre. For, you know you're from Michigan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you play Euchre. Um Alex. Favorite board game. So in high school, my buddy Luke and I, we invented, we called it Dirty Deals Monopoly. <laughs> and we would just play, <laughs> we would play Monopoly, but we would, Luke and I would run it like we were two mob bosses and like we would like make backdoor deals and like. I could picture Luke doing that. Like somebody, somebody was always the banker. So we were always like, you know, squeezing the bank for more money and like making sure they paid their protection fees and. All that good stuff. I have never. And you said you said you don't even know what, a few minutes ago like what would go into making a board game. And you, you've done it already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Oh man, I need to make that dream come true. Dirty Deals Monopoly to add to their a thousand different versions I have of Monopoly. Simpsons Monopoly at home. You'll actually have to call it Dirty Dealopoly because Monopoly is a registered trademark. Oh, screw you, Parker Brothers. Like my dad always said in college, they would take two Monopoly boards and overlap the goes and call it Figure Eight Monopoly. Oh my god! And the game would just go forever. Well, it goes forever anyway. I've never lost Making a game of... a bad game worse. <laughs> I've never lost a game of Monopoly. Wow. Have I, you ever be, finished because... a game of Monopoly? What's that? Have you ever finished a game of Monopoly? Well, I'm always the last one. That's oh, there you go. Last one standing, yeah. yeah. My favorite game growing up was Tornado Rex. What? Ooh. You never heard of, of Tornado big, Rex? Big, like Toy Factor games where you have like the... The thing goes crazy on the board, right? Oh, yeah, yeah it was yeah. like a almost like a Tasmanian devil thing on the top of the board, and he'd go down and he would knock your game pieces off. So you awesome. you had to climb the mountain, and Tornado Rex would knock your game pieces. It was kind of like uh, setting up mousetrap, kind of like that good feeling you have setting up mousetrap. You, you would like a game like that with yeah. like a toy in the middle of it, and like <laughs> with your with your love for Jurassic Park and all those type things. I don't. I can't. Well, I did watch the movie Twister three times this weekend. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's awesome! Wow. What uh, else you got? for All us? right. Uh, um, this lightning round is like slower than any lightning I've ever seen. But let's do it. It's it's all good. Okay. So favorite band or album? Since you're coming back from audio feed, Jason, you gotta have like something ever. Uh, of late, what's your favorite of late? Like, what's in your yeah. You know what's in your tape player right now? Oh my! Oh man! Oh, that's uh, actually I just uh, I'm I've been jamming all day today. Toad the Wet Sprocket, new constellation, <laughs> yeah. because I saw them in Grand or I saw them in Kalamazoo last night. Oh my and, gosh! Uh, that that band is phenomenal. Oh my! A couple of months ago, I went and saw Not a Surf. Oh sweet dude! Oh my gosh! It blew me away. They played popular. And oh, I was like, holy crap, how are they pulling this out from last way back when? Last year I saw Gin Blossoms. Like, what's happening in my life now is, like, I was too punk rock in the 90s for anything that wasn't punk rock. Yeah. So I'm going back and, like, rediscovering all these wonderful bands I kind of, like, you know, like, pull my nose up at. And it's been awesome. That's that's pretty sweet. What about you, Alex? Yeah, uh, you something got, metal. Yeah, right. it'll be it'll probably be metal. That's that's my in my wheelhouse. That and classic rock. It's yeah, I don't know. Sweet. Like what kind of metal bands? Like name two metal bands that you love. Uh Zayo and Azalea Dying. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Even though the lead singer of Azalea Dying tried to have his wife killed. He's out of jail now, so he's paid his debt to society. (laughs) Whoops. Um, So for a change of heart there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh there's this uh band called silent planet and they just this past summer or actually in the spring they came out with their second album called everything was sound and each track on that album uh looks at a different uh mental illness and the singer the the singer is a big advocate for mental illness that sounds and, right up my alley and he, each song he talks about different mental illnesses and really expands uh on the topics and like he's got a song on there uh called war room or no, panic room. Sorry, that's all about PTSD. And I got a couple. I got a couple buddies that are in the military that just they really clung to that song. And wow. so it's really cool to kind of hear them talk about how the music affected them. And even though I've never been in the military, I can kind of understand that the the vocalist really in his lyrics. And then the music is just 
fascinating, but really captured that what what possibly uh, somebody who has PTSD would go through, but in a cool metal song. Yeah. See, dude, I I I didn't mean to interrupt you, Jason. No, that's fine. Go ahead. No, I th- I just I totally thought Alex was gonna say Moana. The Moana because we were listening to the Moana soundtrack before we called you. Moana, yeah, it's super solid record, man. I, that's I was talking to Jason. We were like, man, there's got to be some sort of demonic forces behind Disney because nobody makes melodies that sound They're that so good, good and catchy without the help of Satan. <laughs> Satan. Oh, All right. Yeah, this is not a lightning round at all. So <laughs> good, good for good first attempt, Jason. Yeah, it was. You know, trying something new. Why not? You know. So, Jason, where can this is so weird, Jason and Jason? Yeah, there's two yeah. of us now. What are you gonna do, man? Jason squared. Um, Jason, where can people find you and find uh, what you're doing uh, with board games and whatnot? No, I want to hear about your latest game, dude. Just because the title oh, of yeah, it, yeah, I forgot about it. Phenomenal. Be- before the Earth explodes <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, please do explain like I'll... yeah absolutely uh before the earth explodes is a game designed by two awesome canadians named daryl andrews and adrian adamskew i'm in and it has some killer art by this dude named davy wagner rock uh and it is a two-player game where you are uh playing action cards that are kind of it's a little bit of rock paper scissors kind of a kind of thing going on uh, where you're trying to kind of outthink the other player in order to either deal them seven damage or colonize seven planets or get to seven on your technology tree um, to win the game. But but the, the story that, that you're playing uh, within the kind of world that we've created is that, that the Earth is dying and like it's running out of resources. And you're going to go away from your planet to either bring back resources you need to save your planet or find a new home. And you will do whatever it takes to be the one to kind of have that that glory it, even that I think that includes destroying all the other people that are trying to do the same thing as you just because you want to be the one that succeeds so uh it's just a quick cute kind of sci-fi game I mean not cute like totally gnarly uh, <laughs> <laughs> science fiction game where it takes about 20 minutes to play head to head real cool like double think like you think you know what you're they're gonna play but then do they know like it's like princess bride kind of stuff you know like are you gonna drink from my cup or am i gonna drink That's from your awesome. cup? wait this is my you know so it's a a real cool little uh little little game we've been working on for a while so that'll be on kickstarter on august 1st that's awesome, that's exciting god yeah well so where, where can people find you websites or social media or any of that yeah, people can like check out uh, Green Couch Games at greencouchgames.com. You can listen to my podcast, The 20 Minutes of Filler, where we would try to raise the profile of Little Box Games, uh, which is available on the Green Couch site. We have a store there where you can check out our games and order stuff from our like our, our web store. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jason Kotarski. I'm at Twitter at Jason... I'm sorry, I already said that one. At, <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Green Couch Games as well. And Facebook is Facebook.com slash Green Couch Tabletop. Uh, so, yeah, lots of ways you can uh, track down what I'm up to with board games. And uh, the church stuff I'm doing these days, I'm trying to kind of stick to the local church and uh, and just be a part of a community. And uh, that's kind of the, the thing that I'm doing. So I don't have any blogs or anything like that on, on that front. So 
awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much yeah. for hanging out with us for a little bit and talking about your the many hats of Jason Katarski, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, figure if I'm, I figure if I'm not wearing all the hats, I'm not I'm not living enough life. So let's uh, throw on some extra hats and go out in the rain. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, man. Jason, I swear, yeah. I'm going to market some type of mafia-style board game now. Yeah, I have. I it's the only way I can live my mafia dream without compromising my Christianity. I think. Well, at least you know you have a publisher. <laughs> yeah, that you can pitch it to. Ah, oh, man, your buddy Jason, good, good stuff. Yeah. We basically just like went through his whole life. I mean, we didn't cover his birth, which I'm. We'll we'll do that in the part two. Yeah, the prequel. Yeah, the prequel. <laughs> we we established this. The prequels are not as good as the originals. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think it might be interesting to hear how he was born. Maybe <laughs> no. <laughs> no, just he's a super awesome dude. I mean, even in our break. And and afterwards, like the interview's over, and we're talking about Glow, like <laughs> the gorgeous women of rest of wrestling. Yeah, on Netflix. Netflix series, man, such a great show. And my wife watched it without me. She, I watched. The, we watched the first two episodes together, and then I went off to band practice, and I come back, and she's or, she's already that's done. Brutal. She's done. She's done. You're, you 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 go play some music, and your wife finishes a killer show without you. Hey, what can you do? <sighs> But anyway, Jason. No, just like, I just want to say, like, he's just the kind of person where, like, you you walk into a room, and then he's there, and you just see, he's like one of those guys where you see his smile, and the whole room, like, lights up. Like, he's just got so much energy to him. Yeah. Like, about him. And his church plant, I mean, I never went to it personally, because my wife and I were in a different spot in ministry, and... Mm -hmm. You know, when you're doing ministry at a different location or a different church, it makes it hard to go visit some of the stuff that your friends are doing. But I mean, his church really sounds like it was ahead of its time in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, like, man, I wish that was here right now kind of thing. But still super cool. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it was really cool to hear about what a lay pastor does. And it sounds like it's something that especially if you're a bigger church Think about looking into it. Oh, I think I think churches do need to to, to look into it. I, I mean I think it's gonna be vital, especially because you've got you have all these mega churches growing in coming in and a lot of them, you know, they're not really bringing in new Christians per se. They're just feeding off the smaller churches. Yeah, transfer growth. And yeah, exactly. And so the you know, as these churches get bigger and bigger and bigger and develop more resources, like people in that position like Jason is in being a lay pastor is going to become a vital position because the church won't exist without free help burden free from the church budget support coming from outsiders. So just, yeah, really good stuff. And I mean, on top of all the really good stuff we talked about with Jason, um, he, you know, he, he gave us all of his plugs and we'll, uh, you know, include all those in the show notes, but people, we are on the social medias. Oh yeah. We 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 have a Facebook. We have a Twitter. We have Instagram. And guess what? I am currently selling a PS3 right now <laughs> oh my on gosh. Facebook. Are you using our podcast <laughs> to Oh, okay. All right. Buy my PS3. <laughs> you reminded me to talk about something. Oh, okay. Our minimalism, our 30-day challenge. Yeah. Alex, 30 days has come and gone. Yes. 
Did you get rid of the allotted items? I am current. They are still in my house, but they are in the boxes to be taken to Salvation Army. So Does all that- 500 and something items. What was it? Yeah. And I mean, some stuff I already got rid of too. Like some stuff I, I already either gave to somebody else who could use it or, you know, whatever. So yeah. I, I, I say I did pretty good. I put a pretty huge dent in the stuff that I, that I got rid of, but there's still so much. Is it, do you find, do you feel like it's like an addiction now? Like, are you always like looking for stuff? I am. And, espe- so am I, and especially dude. like my garage, my garage is awful. Oh, I know it, man. And I, I just, a, I want to uh, just throw everything away in the garage. I keep, I keep interrupting you cause I'm so excited. I Dude, it was, it was one of our episodes where we were both like on par yeah. going forward, all that good stuff. Yeah. But my garage, dude, I cleaned out so much. Probably almost all my items came from my garage. It was insane. I have like this like bad habit of boxes. Dude, I've got empty boxes. My whole attic in my garage was full of empty boxes. I will say this. Like from just like I'm saying yeah. like like purchases, like a crock pot box. It was empty. Oh, those kind just, of boxes. Yeah, those kind of boxes. I was talking about so we we were given totes when we moved because boxes, you know, they get wet, they break. Totes, plastic, yeah. waterproof. When we, a few months ago, every tote in our house was full of stuff. Now we have like seven, eight empty totes. That's awesome. So dude. like stuff is getting rid of. And so like if if we move, like we have totes we can put stuff in. Yeah. So I mean, hey, minimalism. It's 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 really worth looking into, guys. Yeah. You feel more free. You feel good getting rid of the clutter. I I will say this, quick high five, buddy. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Just because like you recommended when I talked about in our biblical minimalism episode mm-hmm. uh you know you gave you, sh- you gave the uh suggestion of me donating our crib to oh, yeah. the uh flint crisis pregnancy or flint flint crisis pregnancy center yeah and we did that today dude we did nice. that this morning and it was just it was awesome so some good people doing some good work absolutely there in flint and just happy to contribute so Anyway, as let's land the plane, Jason. Yeah. Uh, this was a great interview with Jason Katarski. Um, he's he's all the way out in Grand Rapids. If you could, that's say, actually that way, bud. You, oh, you held up your hand the wrong way. Yeah, because it's to the west. Yes. Okay. If you could, through mental telepathy, send him one clear message, what would that message be? Okay. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, Have a good done. night. Yeah.